Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, now. Jeez. I was wondering what I... I know that was kind of a low song, man. I, okay, now it's time to get up into the rafters. Praise the Lord. Well, we have the awesome privilege, man, of studying His Word. And, uh, of course, if you've been with us for a while, you know we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we had left off at John chapter 9. I mean, that's where we'll pick it up. John chapter 9, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. We're going to try to cover the whole, whole chapter. No, no laughing, but we are. Listen, while you're turning there, just a, a kind of a quick reminder. And uh, prayer night is tonight, as Juan mentioned. But we changed the prayer card up just a tad. And um, what we've done is... Uh, on the back of that prayer card, um, we have a little thing there where it says, if you've recently received um, Lord, Lord Jesus into your heart and, a lot, and life, allow us to pray for you. But the reason we're doing this is to try to stay in touch with you so we can send you tithing envelopes. <laughs> Come on, guys. Got to light, lighten up a little bit. No, you, you know better than that. Um, no, we want to stay in touch because, you know, we're praying about doing another um, foundations class for young believers, new believers. And um, we want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to try to encourage you to do your devotions. Just want to try to, stay, just, you know, help you grow in your walk with the Lord now. So that's the reason for that, for the, the back of that card. And uh, if you do have a prayer request, um, remember tonight is the night we get together. But again, what do I say? I say a church that prays together does what? stays together. So I just want to encourage you again, try to make it out tonight. Um, it's not a real big deal. We do a little bit of worshiping and then we just get together in circles, man. And we pray over these. A lot of people put these in and there's some serious prayer requests that come across. Um, and we want to make sure they're prayed for. Okay, guys. So again, uh, tonight, John chapter nine, now, we're going to read the whole chapter, guys, and uh, I am going to attempt to cover it. The central theme, of, of there will be a central theme to it all, uh, to it all but I, I think this is an, another one of those accounts in the Bible where I, I would say, well, this is one of my favorites, but then, my goodness, every one I read, I say to you, this is one of my favorites. Um, but it is, it's just, there's something, it's a very interesting miracle that take, takes place here. And um, verse 1, it says, and again, follow with your eyes, it says, And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was, was blind from, from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, Jesus answered and said, Neither had this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night's coming when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat down, he spits on the ground, and he made clay from the spittle. And he anointed the, the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him now I want you to go and and wash in the pool of Siloam which by interpretation means sent he went his way therefore and he washed came seeing 
The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat in bed? Some said, oh, He is, this is he. Others said, No, he is like him. But he said, I am he. <laughs> I think the guy would know who, who he was, you know. Therefore said they unto him, Well, how were thine eyes open? And he answered, he said, a man that is called Jesus made clay. He anointed my eyes and he said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I went, I washed, received my sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? He says, well, I don't know. (laughs) You got to read this as if you're there, you know. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind And it was the Sabbath day, and when Jesus made the clay, and you already know that Jesus is in trouble now, and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, and he said unto them, well, he put some clay upon my eyes, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. And these guys are thick. Others said... How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? The blind man says, I guess he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They're getting mom and dad involved in it now. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, Now we know this is son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Here's the reason for their rejection. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So therefore, said his parents, he's of age, just ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, now give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered. This is a spunky guy. Listen to this. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. And one thing I do know that wherein I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, well, where did he um, or where did he to thee? And how did he open your eyes? He answered them, and I says, I have told you already, and yet you don't believe or you don't want to hear. Wherefore, do you hear it again? We also become his disciples. Ooh. Then they reviled him. They mocked him and said, Thou art his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why? Herein is a marvelous thing. That you know not from whence he is, and yet he's opened my eyes. (laughs) 
Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, he will and does his will, him he hears. And since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered, they said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sin, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Talk about hard-headed men. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? This is what Jesus is asking him. He answered and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, or into this world, that they which see not see not might see, and they which uh, see might be made blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your saints. I hope I can get to those last two verses for you, but we'll see. Let's stand together, Bible in hand, and let's pray over this. Again, Father, we just love this book. We love your word. And Father, Lord, we just agree together without you, without your anointing upon our minds and hearts, this would just be another book. We pray, Father, that again your word would become alive and powerful, a double-edged sword, Lord, Lord, that it will uh, deal with us, Father. I pray, Father, that everyone here today, God, would be able just to receive from you for such a time as this. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said together, Amen. amen. Thank you. The Gospel of John centers around seven I am statements. And there's seven miracles that support the I am statements. And I think the purpose of that is whoever reads these I am's and then sees the support by the miracles that Jesus performs that maybe one day they too will be like this blind guy who finally said, yes, Lord, I do believe and would bow down and worship him. You see, to establish the context where this whole thing comes from, we go back to chapter 8. And there in chapter 8, there on the Temple Mount, Jesus, our Lord, comes to the defense of this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And again, what he was protecting her from, grant you, physical harm, because they were ready to pummel her with stones. But more than that, he was protecting her from the hypocrisy of religious leaders. Jesus would turn around and say to those guys that wanted to stone her to death, okay, you that don't have any stone, I mean, any sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And it tells us that Jesus went down and he started to write on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, it really dealt with those Pharisees because from the oldest down to the youngest, they began to drop their stones. They saw their own hypocrisy. 
Jesus said to this dear woman, okay, where is your accuser? I have none, Lord. He goes, well, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. You know, and, and, and what he says there in verses 58 and 59 of chapter 8, I'll read it to you. Verily I say unto you, before Abraham, and here's one of those I am statements. He said, before Abraham, I am. Now you and I, if we don't read on and just and see this with even in our own hearts, where they picked up stones to kill him, you know, they knew what Jesus was declaring there. The I am statement is I am deity, I am God. We go all the way back to the book of Exodus where God has given Moses that, that, that law, the Ten Commands. And when Moses finally turned around, he goes, okay, this is all good, all, all good but who am I going to say sent me? He goes, well, you tell the Israelites, I am that I am sent you. When you go and you fast forward into the book of Isaiah, we find four or five different places where God himself would say, I am, I am that I am, you know, that he is. Go to the book of Revelation and you will see Jesus declaring the same thing about himself. I am, I am Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning and I am the end, declaring eternity, declaring that he is, I am, I am that I am. So these, these Pharisees, man, they understood that. They understood exactly what he meant. Because right away, man, they went to pick up some more stones to throw at Jesus for blasphemy. Because he just called himself God. It, it, was, a, it was kind of a, a, you know, two weeks of that. So I recommend you maybe going online and, and dredging them up and listen to that. Because this whole thing just flows in. That's the context of this. That's why we see this miracle here in chapter, in chapter 9, supporting the IN statement there. Um, in verse 1, it tells us that Jesus passed by and that he saw this man, again, which was born blind from birth. And all of a sudden, the disciples asked Jesus, what's up? What gives? Did this guy sin or was it his parents that sinned? Now, just to kind of give you a mind's eye picture, again, most likely not on the Temple Mount, though some have said he was right there again. But it's, it's on a Sabbath day, and it's also near a synagogue. When these disciples saw this guy, and Jesus saw this guy, that question came up, okay, who sinned? See, to them, there was only two there was only one of two reasons why this man was suffering from this, this condition of blindness. Only one of two reasons. Either it had to do with him personally, where he sinned in the womb, or it was his parents that sinned, and he's dealing with what we call generational sin. And uh, you just, you've got to wonder. How many times this blind man heard this, this discussion? I'm sure it's not the first time. He sits at a place there in Jerusalem known as a place for beggars. He's allowed to beg on the Sabbath. He's just not allowed to cry out. That would break the Sabbath law. He's allowed to sit in one location and just hold a cup in his hand. Disciples go walking by with their Lord, looks down. Hey, hey, Lord, what gives? Was it him or the parents? You and I. 
I probably would think, well, that's just ludicrous. Why would it, anyone even think that? But it wasn't to them. You see, with the rabbis of the day, they taught that. They taught that, that a child in the womb can sin. They would use Jacob and Esau as, as an example, where there was this confrontation in the womb. How many of you guys remember that story in your Old Testament, right? And old heel catchers swap places with, with Esau and all that. And, and that's a different Bible study. But they really truly believe that. They also would say they think it's possible because they believe that life began at conception. It, life began at the womb, which a lot of us believe today. So in their minds, they would teach that it's possible for someone to sin in the womb, which is absurd, by the way. But um, that's the result of this. School of thought was this thing called generational sin. Well, what is that, Har? Well, that's where they would believe that, you know, if, if dad was a sinner and there was no repentance, that would be handed down to their son. And, by, and it just keeps going down from generations to the generation. Now, there was a lot, of, a lot of different scripture verses where they could support that theory. One is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. And I'll read it to you, where it says, Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God. I am, jealous, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father upon the children unto the third and fourth generation to them that hate me. And so they'll say, see, it goes from one generation to the other generation. Now, just listen, gang, and, and listen. I think there is generational sin, but not like they viewed it. They viewed it as if there was no other option. I think generational sin looks like learned behavior, more or less. You know, you grow up in a... And I'll, I'll use myself. I'll throw my dirty laundry out. Okay? Leave yours alone. Uh, Dad, just, just an angry person. That's something we learned growing up in the house. That it was perfectly okay and normal to be so angry that you would hit the walls, that you would get in fist fights, that you would overthrow tables at dinner and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, me and my siblings, we learned that. And so that's something... I took with me into, into adulthood, you know. And a generational sin could look like something like this, where a kid is raised in a home that despises God. They hate God. For some reason or another, they don't want to hear God mentioned in their house at all. And so that child grows up with this ideology that it's okay to hate, it's okay to hate church. It's, you know, and you have all your rhymes. And, well, where did you get that opinion? Well, that's what my old man used to teach all the time, or he would declare all the time. So in that way, I think sin can be handed down generation to generation. But the glorious thing, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I think my address is correct, that when one comes to Christ, he is changed into a new creation, and that curse is broken. That, that you don't have to remain in that constant kind of thought or pattern in your life that it can be broken. Amen, guys? But for them, they believe that it was something spiritually that's just been passed down uh, to them. And um, here's my take on this, too, by the way, because things do happen, right? Tragedies always happen. 
And, you, and sometimes you just got to wonder why. And that's normal. You know, um, I was with someone uh, in the hospital and uh, just sitting with them through the whole ER thing in the emergency room. And um, I remember someone um, saying to me, why would God do this to me? Now, how many of us have said that or how many of us entertained entertained to say something like that, right? Why would God let this happen to me? Or you've heard um, something like, well, why would God do that to them? And it's a fair question. It really is. And I don't think any of us here today that we're exempt from that emotion. But over the years, what I have learned, and maybe what I've learned I can share with you and, and save you from some real heartache, it, it's not God. It's just life. It's the fallen world. You know, I, 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 I think of a dear woman who comes here and lost a daughter at 12 years old. It's, wasn't God. It, it wasn't her. It's a fallen world. And bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Well, then how do I handle something? The way a believer handles it is to know, number one, that whatever does happen, to, tune in now, that whatever does happen to us, it's for his purposes and, his, and it's for his good. To the believer. And maybe on this side of heaven. We will never figure out. Why bad things happen like this. But we can rest. And just take a deep breath. And say. Wow. God I don't know what you're doing here. You know just re- just three, three and a half years. I mean I lost everything. And I tell you it was pretty. It was hard. You know you always try to walk around. Like oh, God's got this. But I have to confess something. Losing your ha- house over 30 some years. Raising your kids. And it's gone in 20 seconds. That's a, p- a tough pill to swallow. You know. And, but I was old enough in the Lord. To know that this had nothing to do with God. But boy could God use this. For his purpose. And his glory for, in my life. Amen. I remember, and again, I'm just going to share this story with you. It can happen, especially to younger Christians. 1978, I was still in seminary with my my wife. And I got a a weird call sort of around 12 o'clock at night. And it was my sister-in-law, Ronnie, who said, can you come home? Mom's having a nervous breakdown. And... uh, that wasn't, and it wasn't odd. My, my mom, her nerves were shot and all that. And I said, sure, Ronnie, I'll, I'll grab my sister. She was living on campus and, and uh, we'll come home. Well, around one in the morning, I still can't go back to sleep and I'm tossing and I'm thinking, this is really w- weird. Erm says, why, what's with you? Why are you so restless? I said, I, I don't know. I, I think I got to go home. Maybe the Lord wants me to go home to help mom relax. So I went and got my sister. We headed home, got there around 1 2 o'clock in the morning. There was a nurse there, one of her childhood friends who was a nurse at the hospital was there. My dad was there. All the siblings, my brother, we were all there. So what I wanted to do was walk over to her. I knelt next to her bed. She saw me and she said, hi, honey. I said, mom, you need to relax. I love you. You just got to let this. They gave her a, a shot, like a tranquilizer, you know. And I said, just let the medicines work, man. She's hyperventilating. 
And so she says, okay, I was the last one to get there. And she looks at my brother and she says, you know, Dennis, you can pray for me. And when he was done, he goes, okay, mom, you can rest now. And she dies right there. And we talk. My dad, his normal reaction is he got mad. He got mad at her, yelled at her not to do this to him, if you can imagine. And then you got me that I, all of a sudden, I got this anger. And I looked at my brother. I said, what the heck did you just do? You know. And I turn around. I hit a wall. And for months, I was angry. And I kept blaming God. Sorry, I hate this stuff. So I went, I talked to a professor at our school because I was losing it. And he, he, you know, Hobart Grazier, just a great guy, he turned around and he goes, well, there's really two things that's happening here. You're blaming the hospital because they misdiagnosed her. They, she actually blood, uh, she died of a blood clot that could have been treatable if they had diagnosed her right. Or you're mad at God. And I realized I was mad at God. And I had to repent of that. Because what we found through the autopsy, if, if she had not went home with him, that she would become a very sick woman and suffer greatly. See, it stunk. I hated it. I was angry. But God saw a greater purpose and a greater good. See, that's what he does in a believer's life. But we're so quick. I don't know. Maybe our humanity... That we start to think, well, it's got to be me. What am I doing wrong? Or maybe it was dad and this thing came down into me and now it's his fault. It's no one's fault. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's not repercussion because of some stupid bonehead things we have done. You keep getting high and you OD. That's your fault. God still will use it. You keep messing around and you keep sleeping around and you come down with something. That's not God's fault. That's your fault. Right? But like to the woman, he'll say to you, I'll heal you, but go sin no more. But too many times we start to condemn ourselves. We become our worst enemies. I've even come to this place in my walk with the Lord. I don't blame God anymore. I just let it roll. Whatever. I don't blame somebody else. I just figure, man, God, you're going to get a kick out of bringing glory and honor through this thing. I mean, but I also know, too, that sometimes it's just the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life has even nothing to do with Satan. Too many times we want to blame Satan for tragedy. Not. But I'll tell you this. This is what I think. That because I know this and I know it to be true, boy, do I do, do I'm waiting for the new one to come. I'm waiting for the new world to come. I'm waiting for the new kingdom to come. This will be all be gone eventually, right? No more suffering and no more crying, no more people dealing with disease. He tells this guy, 
Well, he tells them in verse 3 that it wasn't this guy that sinned nor his parents. It's just an opportunity for God to work in his life to bring him into light. And you've got to remember this conversation is really happening in, in the presence of this blind guy. And again, is he going, oh, I've heard all this again. But my goodness, I, wait a minute. I've got the power and I got the light. Are you really going to do anything? Are you, going to, are you just going to keep yakking here? Whoever you are, he's totally blind. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but Jesus does do something. And can you imagine what's going through his eye? He can't see, but all of a sudden, how much spit does it take, by the way, to make two mud cakes? I know you think I'm crazy. A lot of people think I'm crazy. I tried it the other day because I was reading this passage. I was seeing how much mud I can make with spit. Come on, you're going to go home and try it. You know it. it. Takes a lot of spit. What's this guy thinking when he hears? <laughs> and then he's going to sling it in the guy's eye. Right? I'm glad Jesus only did this once. Because if he had done it too, you know there'd be mudinyoureyeministry.com. People would be selling anointed spittle mud. He sends him, it tells us, after he makes this clay, he tells them to go to the pool, which in being interpreted means sent. The one who was sent is sending him. And for a blind guy, you know, that's, that's, that's a fair walk to try to get himself down through the little alleys there in Jerusalem, come to that little pool. And by the way, it was a little spring of fresh, clean, pure water. There he is feeling around the edge, and now he's just trying to wash the mud off of his eyes. And by the way, he goes without a single promise. He goes not knowing what's going to happen. Go... (laughs) Go wash your, yeah, thanks a lot. Jeez, you know. I thought that could, things couldn't get any worse. Guy's putting mud in my eyes. And he goes down to the pool of, see if it was another pool that meant healing or if it's another uh, pool that meant, you know, um, power or authority. But it wasn't. It was just a pool that was called scent. But you know, guys, there is something to be said about obedience. It really is. Can you imagine if the guy got an attitude and go, are you kidding me? Look what you did. Now you're sending me down to this pool scent. But he doesn't. He makes his way down there without a single promise. I guess he just knows that that's the right thing to do. And so he washes off his eyes. Can you imagine what that's like? Just for a second, you start to wash, and all of a sudden, for the very first time in his entire life, he was born blind. He starts to see a little bit of light coming through the cracks of that mud. And now he's washing a little faster. And now he can see a little clear. And he's washing more. And now he's sitting there, most likely on his knees, mud on his hands, but looking around, seeing things he's never seen before, seeing things that he's only heard. All in one day. All in one day. 
I want you to notice something. Look at verse 8. And I'll be jumping around a little bit to try to keep this in an outline form. But verse 8 says, the neighbors, these are just the people that are around. Therefore, they, they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, no, this is not he. That sat and begged, or is this not he that sat and begged? Some said, he, this is he. The others said, no, it looks like him. And uh, then he finally says, no, I am him. And therefore, they said unto him, well, how were your eyes open? He answered them and said, well, I don't know, man. There was this guy, they called him Jesus. Now, listen, you, you and I think of Jesus, right? The one died on the cross, rose from the dead, powerful Jesus, right? Common name. If it was said in the Hebrew, it would be Joshua. Jesus, it was just a common name. It would be like, I don't know, Harry just spat in my eye, put mud in my eye, and he told me to go down to the Delaware River and wash off, and now I see. I'm, well, who's Harry? You would say, I don't know. That's what's happening here. He doesn't know. All he knew that they called him Jesus. And he told me to go down and wash. See, their reaction is a reaction of unbelief. They saw him earlier. He was blind as a bot. Now he stands before us. He, I mean, it's a miracle. Sometimes miracles are hard to embrace, aren't they? Come on, be real with me. You know, you hear of some of these miracles. You've never seen one in your entire life. And then all of a sudden you hear of a miracle. And because you've never seen one, it's go, oh, you sure that's the same guy? I don't know I don't know what your testimonies are like some of your testimonies I know and you know what I'm going to do one day by the way I'm I'm going to interview the testimonies that are in this church cuz some of the stories I've heard in this church I I look at them and I go you sure you're saved? There's yeah, some beautiful trophies out there. But they they had a hard time believing it. And I wonder for just a slight moment, was it deflating to this man? Did it kind of let the air out just a tad? Some would say, well, why? Because he's got his sight. Notice he goes to the pool of Shalom, but he comes back. He comes back as a trophy and nobody will believe it. In fact, they... In verse 13, you'll notice they brought him to the Pharisees. I think they're thinking, you know, they're going to really get a kick out of this. It's never happened before. Look at this. And man, were they in for a shock. The treatment of this guy by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, is appalling. Look at verse 14. It was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. That's how we know Jesus is in trouble already. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, well, he put clay on my eyes. I go and wash. I see. Therefore, some of the, the Pharisees. And check this out. This man is not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath law. Others said, no, wait a minute. How can this man be a sinner and do such miracles? And again, there's this big division. So they turn around and they look at this guy that was born and said to him um, that uh, 
pardon me, verse 17. What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? So this man's response is, I guess he's a prophet. He must be a prophet. Now remember, gang, here's a guy that was not allowed in a synagogue. He's blind. Here's a guy that never went through any kind of, you know, rabbinical teaching. He wasn't like the normal kids growing up where dad would sit down and he would go off to school to memorize the Torah and then at that certain age become a man. He never had that. He has a defect. He's considered a sinner. He's not allowed there. So the best position spiritually that he could give Jesus was, I hear you guys talking about prophets, so I guess he's a prophet because he does rank up there. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he, that he had been blind and received the until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. You know, these guys just will not quit. And I think, again, how disheartening this should be to him or could be to him. Look at verse 24. Again, just these Pharisees on this guy. Then again, he, they calls this man that was, that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. Almost demanding. We know that this guy is a sinner. They, they want him to give the miracle or contribute the miracle to God and not to Jesus. And I love this guy's answer. He said, he answered him and said, Whether he be a sinner or not, I, or, or no, I know not. One thing I do know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Then they said again to him, what did he do to thee? How opened his eyes? Now, this is like the third, the second time they've asked this question. And again, I love this man. He says, I told you already and you didn't hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? Then they reviled him. They start to mock him. Talk about being cruel. You're his disciples. We're Moses' disciples. And we know that God spoke to Moses. But for this guy, we don't know even where he comes from. Verse 30, it says, And the man answered and said, Why, herein is a marvelous thing. Now, there's a mockery here. <laughs> that you know not from whence he is. And yet, man, he, can, he opens my eyes. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners. See, he's almost quoting them. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doth his will, him he hears. And since the world began, was not, it was not heard that any man has opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Notice their reaction. That was altogether born in sin. And you're going to try to teach us? So they cast him out. They excommunicated the very thing that his parents were so afraid of, he had to experience. Excommunication from a synagogue. You would, well, today, you know, it, there's the thing called church discipline, you know. And if someone is asked to leave a church for some issue or some sin or something, you know, um, they would just find another church to go to, right? Hopefully they would repent and go to another church. But back in those days, man, when you were kicked out of a synagogue, that meant life. I don't mean physical death, but that means you were, no law, uh, no, you were never considered um, clean enough to worship. And um, because you could never go to the synagogues, you couldn't bring your offering to the 
temple. You were just an unclean Hebrew Jew and you were just totally excommunicated. And when you had that stigma, try to find a job, try to support your family very hard. And so because he would not contribute this miracle to something else, just it was Jesus, this man they called Jesus, they excommunicated him. And Jesus, to me, is just overwhelming. You see Jesus in 35, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They excommunicated him. And when he had found him, Jesus went searching for him. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And again, I just... I just see the heart searching for this guy because of what he's gone through. As God still does today. Especially the people who have been ripped off by religion. People that have just been ripped off because of just the world. A fallen world. Somehow Jesus always reaches out and he finds that person. And restores them. Just think of the day that man has had. His highs, then be, being deflated, his lows. You would think, man, everyone should have been stoked out of their minds when this happened. But yet what he experienced there was uh, the slanders of the Pharisees, the fears of his parents. There's disbelief. But yet something happened to this man. Rich, you can make your way up again, buddy. Something happened to this guy. And I want to try to point it out to you. In verse 11, it says, he answered, he says, a man... A man called Jesus made some clay. He put it in my eyes and he said, go. So on the the very beginning, it was just that man. As we read through this account, we come to verse 17. They ask him again and he goes, you know what? It's got to be more than just a man. We read that he says he's got to be a prophet. Highest position that he could give him. Little later on, he says, look, I, I just know that this guy, this Jesus, who I, he might be a prophet, I know this, that he's of God. And then finally, and further on, as uh, this rejection keeps happening in his life, we read in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they had found him, Jesus asks do you believe on the Son of God? He said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe? Jesus said, Thou hast both said as I that's talking with you. And notice verse 38. He, he started with that man and he comes to the conclusion that, Lord, I believe. I believe. And he began to worship. You know, a lot of people come to the Lord just like this man has comes, you know, where he is just, where just in one day God interrupts his whole life. 
and touches him and he just brings him, he ushers him in into this light. And I mean, sure, the attacks are great, man, and the disbeliefs are all around him. But he knows one thing, and that is I once I was blind this morning. I was as blind as a bat, but today I see clearly. And that happens to people from time to time where God just interrupts his life. There are others who just they seek God out. You know, people are witnessing to him or her. And they begin quest. They begin to read books. They begin to read their Bible. They're reading books like an evidence that demands a verdict, something like that. And they're just diving in. And finally, like this man, they come to that final conclusion. And it might take a year, two years in their search. Yet they come to this, this conclusion, Lord, I believe. And ultimately, they, they kneel down and they begin to worship him. That's why I always say, you never write anybody, never. If they're searching for God. I can't say that I was really searching for God. You know, I've always believed in God. I believed in something, right? How many of you guys grew up just knowing there was something out there? Yeah, there was something out there. When I was a kid, I used to, it was real weird. I would lay in the back of my yard and just kind of lay there and look up at this guy and And after I was done making animals from the clouds. Where does it end? That always used to blow my mind. Where's the wall? Because in our humanity, we can't can't comprehend eternity. We can't. There's no way to try to figure that out. Even if you try right now to figure out eternity, you're wrong. Because you just started to do it. And there is no start or end in eternity. There's nothing. We'll never comprehend eternity. And yet God, with step into human flesh, meet this guy in Jerusalem, and give him his eyesight back, like he has done with us. I once was blind, but now I see. Guys, never take that for granted, please. If you, if you have that hope within you, that is a a gift that's grace because a lot of people out there they're, they're like the Pharisees they'll just continue to make excuses for all the divine things that happen in your life and in my life and the reason they reject it is because if they don't reject it if they said yeah you're right this guy this Jesus he is the son of God then they would have to turn around and deal with their own sin issues and they didn't want to do that Let's stand together. Just two final closing comments. Number one, if you're going through something today, I don't know. Someone's gotten sick in your family and just can't figure it out. You lost a job. Can't figure it out. You're broken hearted over something. And just, you know, from my heart to yours, don't try to figure it out. Rest in his love. Rest in his grace. Because one day, that's all going to be gone. And we're going to be sitting around the throne of God singing a glorious song of the redeemed.
we'll enjoy a new heaven and a new earth. But for right now, we live in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen to good people and bad things are going to happen to bad people, right? Just don't beat yourself up. Take your issues to the cross. Allow him to forgive you. Allow him to cleanse you. There is therefore now what? No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And and we thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. That everyone who's in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, everything now is new. For those that teach that crazy doctrine that bad things should not happen to Christians, what would they say about Paul, who was martyred, Peter, who was crucified, James, who was sawn in half? What would they say to the missionaries who laid down their lives for the cause of the gospel? We get it, Lord. And we just dedicate our hearts to you. And we'll be like this guy. I believe. And now I'll worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's worship, guys. <laughs>